This episode is brought to you by Awesome CX by Transcom. Awesome CX provides high-touch, personalized customer experience services to consumer brands of any size. Stay tuned for a special offer for Stairway to CEO listeners later in the show. Hello, everyone. It's Lee Green, and welcome back to the Stairway to CEO podcast. It's my mission to bring you real, honest, and unfiltered interviews with some of the most innovative founders and CEOs from all walks of life. We'll talk about their climb to the top, their stumbles along the way, and the steps they took to get them to where they are. So tune in to get inspired, listen to some real talk, and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Lee Green, and welcome back to the show. This is episode 167, and today I sat down with Danielle Gronich, the co-founder and CEO of ClearStem Skincare. ClearStem Skincare is a non-toxic skincare brand that is both anti-acne and anti-aging with zero hormone-disrupting ingredients. It's the first clean skincare brand that targets acne and wrinkles at the same time and is proudly formulated without toxic irritants or pore-clogging fillers. In this episode, Danielle shares her story from growing up in Southern California as a tomboy with dreams to travel the world, to studying at UC San Anna Barbara, to working at ADP, where she got to meet with business owners, which gave her the confidence to start her first company, San Diego Acne Clinic, to meeting her current co-founder and launching ClearStem. We talk about her experience at beauty school, the root causes and foods that can cause acne breakouts, and how she bootstrapped the business and grew it to over $8 million in revenue in 2022. If you like what you're hearing on the Stairway to CEO podcast, don't forget to click subscribe, leave us an awesome review view and check us out on stairwaytoceo.com. Thanks so much for listening and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Hi Danielle, thanks so much for joining us on the show today. I'm excited to hear your story and building clear stem skincare. Thanks so much for joining us. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm doing fantastic. I'm happy to be happy to be chatting with you and thank you for prompting me to get my equipment all modern and fixed. <laughs> you sound great. You look professional. I'm excited for this. Thank you. Yeah, I lost my old headset a while ago and I just like hadn't got a new one. And then I remembered how much of a difference it makes. So <laughs> <laughs> It does. It really does. Well, thanks for that. And excited to hear your story. So tell us about what it was like growing up. What kind of kid were you? What were some of your looking back challenges as a child? You know, like paint your childhood for us. Oh, gosh. Love what a loaded question that is. Okay, so I was always very bored. I remember my mom being like, quit complaining about being bored. Why were you bored? I just, I needed a lot of stimulation. And for a long time, I was an only child. So I was an only child until I was eight. So didn't have anyone to play with, um, to geek out with, you know? So I was always kind of a tomboy, really, really like sports, adrenaline, being active, getting that energy out. I was never a girly girl. I think I had like three Ninja Turtle birthday parties. Love the Ninja Turtles. <laughs> I'm right? the same way. Yes. My sister was the girly girl. I was kind of, I don't know what I was. I, I mean, didn't really love, love sports, but I was kind of like somewhere in the middle, you know, couldn't, <laughs> not a total tomboy, but definitely more to that side. 
Yeah. I remember it being kind of confusing because it's like, I didn't feel like I fit in like with the girlier girls and what they wanted to do. I thought it was boring. And then with the boys, I was like, I was on an all boys t-ball league when I was like six. And that's hilarious. Yeah. Like my best friends were boys from preschool up to like third grade. I still have best friends that are guys. I went to New York and I real I came back and I just realized it's like, oh my God, every person I hung out with in New York was male. Like I didn't even, I don't I have zero friends, zero colleagues that were female that entire trip. That's hilarious. <laughs> I find being around guys just being a little bit easier, a little more straightforward, a little less walking on eggshells. Right. They're very direct. You know, most of them very direct. They don't avoid conflict. They tell you how it is. I'm all for that transparency and directness. Totally. But going back to childhood, same here. I had my best little guy friend in, I think it was like kindergarten. It was like my five-year-old birthday party. He's the only boy in the, at my birthday party, but he was like my closest friend. And anyways, it's hilarious. So totally feel you same way. So looking back at your childhood, were you entrepreneurial at all? I never had a lemonade stand or did anything quite like that. And I'm trying to remember the first time I had to like sell something. I think it was like my school would sell this cookie dough. Oh, and then they'd sell like the the holiday wrapping paper and stuff like that. I never cared about doing well because I didn't care about the product. I knew my mom was going to buy a bunch of cookie dough and that's all I cared about. But I was never like, oh, let me go sell stuff and hit some record numbers. I, I'm never that kid. I would get creative ideas like I think when I was in like third grade, I cut the pocket out of one of my old pairs of jeans and I sewed an extra button on it and like made that my wallet. And I was like, this is cool. So I would get creative little spurts like that. I don't know if I'd call myself entrepreneurial unless you change the way you look at entrepreneurial and you just equate that to having a deep dislike of authority. Well, I think it's a bunch of things. And I think creative problem solving and being creative in general is part of entrepreneurship 100%. Like, I don't think entrepreneurship, at least when I look back at my own experiences, it's definitely not like eager to sell people things, right? For me, it was creating solutions to problems that I wanted to see or solve. So it sounds like you're kind of in the same boat. Thinking of it in a different context, the way that you just provided, yes, is definitely entrepreneurial. Always creative thinking outside of the box, thought that what I was being told to do was kind of dumb and boring and wanted to focus on something else that I felt was more important and hated being told what to do by authority figures. So I think that's a key trait in, in all of us. I had someone the other day be like, everyone trusts and believes their doctor. I was like, really? I question every doctor. A thousand percent. Authority? I'm I'm always questioning authority still. Okay. So you definitely were entrepreneurial as a kid, probably in a creative way. What else was it like? What were some of your first jobs growing up? Oh, I've always wanted to work. I always wanted to like make money and like get independence. It was more about the independence goal. Like I couldn't wait to get a car. That was the best day of my life was when I got my driver's license and I could drive on my own. I remember that day so well. What kind of car was it? It was a Jetta, not my choice, but it was cute. Oh, I beat that thing up. That thing got destroyed. (laughs) That car had a fun ride. So yeah, I had a Jetta as my first car and I was excited to drive because I wanted to go to work. So I worked as a hostess and still one of the funnest times of my life was when I was a hostess at Chili's when I was like 17, I was 16 or 17. And it was so much fun. Like working in restaurants is a joy. If you've ever like had that chapter in your life, I think everyone should work in a restaurant at some point. Everybody like, you know, gets along and, you know, parties afterwards and or parties on the job, you know, and then you have like all your work friends and there's a little bit of a reality TV element to it because people are always hooking up. So restaurants and then you get snacks at the end of it. So restaurants are a good time. 
Sounds like you worked at a really cool restaurant where you lived. I worked at like a diner that had a senior citizens menu. So definitely (laughs) not as cool vibes as what you're describing. And I was on the waitress side. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, I was a hostess and all the servers were my friends. Everyone there, now that I'm looking back, everyone there was like 29 or under. And I was like 17 hanging out with them. So they were like my cool older friends. And yeah, everyone was kind of hot or cute and flirty. And like everyone had parties and like everyone. Yeah, it was definitely a social element to, to that Chili's. When you were younger, what is it that you wanted to be when you grew up? Do you have any like fond memories of dreams that you had? I don't remember an actual job. I just remember knowing that I wanted to travel and write it off because I knew that that's what successful people did. And in, in to write little, it off, like you knew yeah, what that was. Yeah. I, well, I thought at the time that it, you get to go places for free. I think everyone thinks oh. that when they're a kid, and they're like, oh, you mean I just get a tax break? Okay. But still <laughs> better than nothing. So I knew I wanted to travel and write it off. I wanted to go explore and be adventurous and just go see what else was out there in the world. Where did you want to go? Everywhere. I've always been fascinated by other cultures and other languages. My best friend growing up was Filipina. So I would hang out a lot at her house and her mom barely spoke English. Her dad spoke even less or he just wasn't a big talker. But basically, like I I was in a different world being at their house and she was always making lumpia and the grandparents lived there. And it was just so different from my household. So I remember just getting exposed to other cultures in depth at a really young age. And I've just always found it fascinating. So I wanted to go see the world and just satisfy that adventurous spirit. So I know you went to UC Santa Barbara. What made you decide to go there and what did you want to study? I went there because for some reason, I only really applied at schools in California. I don't remember why. Because you were from there. Yeah. But like looking back, I'm like, God, why didn't you go to like Texas or like do something totally different? In retrospect, it would have been nice to actually leave California for a chunk of time because it's the only place I've ever lived. But I applied to all the UC schools and then I applied to Stanford. I didn't have enough extracurricular stuff to get into Stanford. I did really well on my grades. I think I had a 4.3 GPA because I took a lot of advanced classes and I did pretty well on the SATs, but I didn't have all the extra stuff you have to be to like get into an Ivy League. I didn't do all that. So I got rejected from there. And then I applied to a bunch of the UCs and the only one that would accept me or that accepted me was UC Santa Barbara, which is in because it's harder to get into than UC Irvine, for example, or UC Davis. It just depends on the program that you want. And I wanted to study math and econ. So based on their funneling system and their demographics that they try to hit, they put me at UCSB. So tell us about any internships you had or first jobs after graduation. First job after graduation. You know, I didn't do any internships. I definitely would go back and do college differently. I I didn't do much except try to game the system and go to class as little as possible while still passing. Which you did pretty well for a 4.3, by the way. Oh, that was my high school GPA. College (laughs) (laughs) college was, I don't know, probably like a C plus. I was always just more focused on like getting a job and working and earning money. So the first job that I got after school, so I had wanted to be a doctor of some kind. I didn't want to do math and econ. I changed pretty quickly, but I love biology. I love the human body. So I started taking genetics, immunology, cellular biology, and I loved it. But I struggled with my skin. I'm very acne prone. And during the time when I was you know, taking all these classes and learning, I was also having a lot of doctor's appointments to try to figure out what was going on with my skin. And not one of them was really able to answer 
or even entertain conversation around possible root causes like dietary triggers or what makeup I was using and whether the way I was caring for my skin was appropriate. Like none of the questions were answered. And one of them just actually, he spelled it out for me and he's like, what prescription do you want to try again? Because by then I'd been on antibiotics forever. They switched my birth control like three times. I'd been on spironolactone and it was just like an endless cycle of prescriptions. And I realized that that's mainly what our medical system is. And I lost all interest in going to medical school. So wound up pivoting and wound up majoring in sociology, actually, which sounds like a wishy-washy major. I know my dad wasn't happy about it, but I actually draw on what I learned in those classes every single day. Like there's psychology and then there's psychology of groups of people. And group psychology is what runs our entire world. So it touches on marketing, it touches on, you know, how you perceive and understand politics, like everything about our society, sociology plays a role in. So I wound up loving that major and I didn't quite know what I wanted to do. So I just took the first job that was near where I lived that seemed interesting and would pay me the most. And it wound up being an insurance. And I'm glad I did that because I learned a ton. If you don't know how to read insurance, it's going to come back to bite you in some way, especially owning a business now. What I learned doing that insurance job has come into play in very, very significant ways at every renewal because it'll be like, what's specifically excluded? And I caught a typo that would have had one of my main products excluded and was able to call it out. Whoa. What are some of those little insights, nuggets you can share with us from your insurance days? Okay. So specific exclusions, that'll generally be like a policy will cover stuff. And then there'll be another page that says... They'll pick things out of what you're doing that says it's specifically excluded. Well, when you have a products-based company like I do, that's huge. So our core bestseller actually is an acne supplement that is meant to treat hormonal acne. And one of the ingredients in it is silica. The company that wanted to insure our product had an exclusion if silica was like over a certain amount or it didn't meet certain criteria. And ours does, but the underwriter who put it together misspelled it and it looked like Cecilia. Hmm. Yeah. But the way they had written it, it was just a big typo that could have backfired on us and not had us like pay attention to what they were trying to exclude and make sure that we were covered. And then obviously having them correct the typo. So the policy actually made sense. So just knowing how to comb through stuff has paid off. Wow. Yeah. And you're talking about business insurance, just for clarity for the listeners. Yeah. It's our general liability for the products that we have. So those are the things that people don't really talk about, I feel like, on podcasts is things that you need that are not cute when you're running a business like liability insurance. Yes. Speaking of not cute, I feel like being a CEO, it seems one way to so many people. But once you're in it, like it is that way. But it's also a lot of stuff you don't want to do. But you have to because you don't have anyone to do it for you. Like working with all the attorneys and going over contracts and risk assessment and mitigation and, you know, all the other random stuff that pops up that someone's got to do and it's got to be you. That's right. There's a lot of things that pop up that you're like, really? This is part of this? (laughs) What the heck? (laughs) Yes. Lots of not so cute things on the back end of building a business. So after you were at EDP, what happened after that? How long were you there? I think you were there for like, not very long, actually, less than a year. Yeah. EDP is a kind of a churn and burn job. It's a very, very high pressure sales job. And it's you got to drink the Kool-Aid if you're going to stay at that company. (laughs) And everyone kind of behaves like a shark. It's got like a boiler room kind of mentality a little bit, a little bit with how much they aggressively promote 
the sales aspect. I actually didn't love it because I was meeting with a lot of business owners and I'd meet with like between five and seven of them a week and do an analysis to see which one of our products was a good fit for them. Specifically, it was like an HR system that I was selling. And I took that job because I knew by then that I wanted to go into business for myself, but I didn't learn about business in school. I was all science and sociology. So I was like, how can I learn on the street, like in a real world way. And that was the perfect job to do it. So I learned, I met so many business owners, all different types of businesses between 10 employees and a hundred employees. And I would do these like mini audits for them and really get to know them. And that became my MBA, if you will. And then from there, I got a couple of mentors and that's where I got the confidence to know that I could do it myself because nobody had it all figured out. Even the ones you think they would. No one had it all figured out. They were all struggling with something they didn't know how to solve. And they all had unique challenges. The commonality was that they just decided to do it. Exactly. Isn't that fascinating? Like the difference between the person that owns the business and the person that doesn't is the person who owns it just went for it. It's really just taking that leap. And there are so many people that I think feel, oh, I have to know XYZ or I've got to achieve this in my career before I can make that leap or you're just never going to be or feel prepared <laughs> for building a business. Yeah. The, if I do this, then I will do it. That's like a safety mechanism that our brains kind of manufacture for us. Same thing with a lot of other things that you want to change. Like, oh, I'll lose weight after after the holidays or after this. It's a way of doing it, but, but not doing it. Like you're addressing it, but not. You're just punting. So it makes us feel good that we've addressed it, but it's just a trap. Right. You're postponing it. Yeah. No more postponing. So when you realized, oh, wait, if these people can be building a business... Maybe I can too. Then what happened? It sounded like that may have ignited something for you. Well, I wanted to do my own thing. I didn't know exactly, but by then I was 28 and my skin struggles were still, they hadn't calmed down at all. By that time I had done Accutane three separate times, which is a very intense, like last case scenario type drug. And I had to do it three times and it didn't even work on me. So while I was dealing with that struggle, it was right at the time that I knew I could be an entrepreneur and that I needed a new passion because I didn't want to do the corporate thing anymore. So I went back to school at night to figure out my skin because that's the only way you could get access to information. You know, there's like classes on skin, but you have to be an esthetician to take them and stuff like that. So I wound up in beauty school at night as I'm a corporate consultant and it was total culture shock. But while I was there, I realized that treating acne was the medical profession I had always wanted but didn't know existed. That struggle got so bad at the time that I was disenchanted with the corporate world. And it just became the thing that I knew I was meant to do and became obsessed and still feel that way eight years later. And so you went to this beauty school to learn about your skin, right? And so what did you learn when you were there? And what happened after? I learned about pore clogging ingredients, like things that are in your makeup, your sunscreen, your lotion. It's the filler agents that cosmetics companies use. Mm -hmm. So you basically fill the product, like it'll be 90% just filler and then 10% some other stuff. So it's ingredients like ethyl hexyl palmitate or isopropyl myristate or satirith 20, random chemical names that most people wouldn't even know how to pronounce. And they don't want to learn about this stuff, but that's, those are the ingredients that keep people broken out. So I learned all about that. I learned about exfoliation, about how to use acids. There's a lot of biology into it. And then 
There's a lot of components about diet and inflammation and other things that I was very interested in because I love cellular biology and inflammation's a big topic around that. So it tied in all the things that I had already loved for years in a way that could actually help me and then help other people. And I could do it on my own. So that's when I started my first business, which is San Diego Acne Clinic. I didn't start it right away because I was brand new in that industry. I did do internships at this stage. I went from a six-figure consulting job to interning for free for skincare spas and like people that had good reviews in San Diego. I was like, while I'm making this change, I'm going to do it the Howard Hughes way and go and like literally learn how to like screw bolts on my on my machine. So started from the very ground up to learn all the operations and you learn what to do and what not to do and what sort of setup you want and what services do you want to offer and how to price them. So after about a year shadowing and interning for like three or four different places, then I started San Diego Acne. So wait, where were you interning exactly? I just went to Yelp and I just looked at the people who had the best reviews, who had already demonstrated success in the new career that I knew I wanted. And I said, hey, I'm in school. Can I intern for you? So I did their, I did one of them. I did her cleaning and I just sat there taking her treatment notes. And then she would have me do some computer stuff. So I saw what the customer management system looked like. And then I worked at a med spa with nurses and I learned about lasers and injectables and microneedling and all the other treatments that are out there. And then I worked at one other place. She did more like eyebrows and and lashes and that sort of thing. And that wasn't the clinical stuff I wanted to focus on, but it was good that I did that. That way I you know, knew what I didn't want to do. So that's why I'm San Diego Acne Clinic has that name because that's all I do. I don't, it's not beauty by Danielle. It's laser focused on what we treat. That's awesome. And so are you still working on that business? Yeah, I still have it. I have a couple of amazing girls that work with me there. And I don't see clients that much anymore because I just don't have the time. But I always love it when I do. So I try to do at least like one a week. So is this like a virtual thing? Or is this like a location that you have? No, it's a location. People come in, we do custom chemical peels, we do facials with extractions, we do a lot of root cause work with people where we have them bring in everything they're using and their vitamins. And we see what could be throwing off their hormones. We go over what they eat, basically everything that should happen in a dermatology visit, but doesn't happen. We do all that. I mean, that's exactly right. I mean, I'm thinking I'm like, I don't even have acne, but I would love to know what yeah. Yeah. Like with my diet and the products and the supplements, all these things, or what supplement am I not taking that I should take? Yeah. Actually, the main issue is they're taking too much supplements and certain supplements raise your testosterone. Vitamin D is one of them. B12 is another one. Zinc can be another one if you're taking it in high doses. So why that matters is because if you're messing with your testosterone and you're trying to start a family, you should really know what's going on with your hormones. And people just are not educated on this stuff. Do you do hormone tests there? I have a practitioner that I refer out to, but ClearStem is actually developing its telehealth wing as we speak. The call that I just had before this interview was a progress call on that one. So we have a network of They're a blend of functional medicine people, nutritional therapy practitioners, INTPs, and then a host of other like other designations. Like some of them focus on like parasite infections or mold or candida, like everyone that looks in all the corners that don't normally get looked in, they are going to be part of the network. And we have certain panels like blood panels and certain hormone tests, like the Dutch test that people can opt in and it'll look at the areas that affect acne the most. I see. And so... This was 11 and a half years ago. It sounds like that you started this business. At what point in that journey did you come up with the idea for ClearStem? So I've had the clinic for 
actually it's about nine years now. So I've had San Diego acne clinic for about nine years. And then my first year in business, one of my clients was my now co-founder Kaylee. And she came in just like everyone else. But the difference is that she had a marketing mind and she was already like a wellness blogger. She was very influential with her social media and her skin was still freaking out, even though she was also like a published nutritionist. So I do my process with her. We figure out what's breaking her out. She had like 11 different triggers. And then she documented her journey and shared it and people became interested. And then I was formulating a scar reversal serum for my darker skinned clients. And at that time, Kaylee, her acne had cleared. We were just working on scarring. So I would save the lab samples and the benchmark samples. I would give them to her to like, tell me what she thought of them. Like you got to give it to people to test. Right. And she happened to be there at that right time. And we decided that we loved this one formula the most. And then another client of mine was an Amazon guy. He put it on Amazon. It kind of blew up and the idea caught on and it was anti-aging and anti-acne at the same time. And there was no competitors for that. So that's how it blew up. And then it kind of just grew from there. People wanted more from us. We started a little website that Kaylee grew our Instagram account. People were DMing us, wanting more products from us, more education. So it just became so organic. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. Customer service and call centers are rarely topics that people get excited about, but Awesome CX is simply different. Their inclusive culture rooted in wellness and fun means that their teams are encouraged to be their best selves personally and professionally by providing them with everything from mental health and healthcare resources to career development. And regardless of the size of your business, Awesome CX is uniquely positioned to support you throughout your growth. They work with some of the fastest growing startups like FabFitFun, Carbon38, Lettuce Grow, Mudwater, and so many more. Want to see it to believe it? Just email me directly at lee, L-E-E, at stairwaytoceo.com to request to join one of their coffee chats where you can meet with their amazing team and witness the agent engagement yourself. You will be so impressed. I can't wait for you to learn more about Awesome CX to make your brand's customer experience awesome. Thank you so much to our incredible sponsors for supporting the Stairway to CEO podcast. Now let's get back to the show. So from a timeline perspective, I'm a visual person. So I'm thinking, where are we in the journey where that happened? So you started ClearStem how long ago? We incorporated in 2017. That's when it became like an actual entity. And then you launched the product for the public when? It launched before it was even a company. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was. We literally, it was so like grassroots how this started. So we, I had the product. I just wanted to sell it in my clinic. It wound up getting on Amazon. Kaylee and I wanted to, she wanted to share this with people. So we decided to partner with it. I think we were just like splitting profits and she would help market it. And we built a little website. And that was 2015 or 2016. Amazing. And so you're like, here's this person that walks in as a customer and now you're you know, in this business with her. Tell us about, I guess, the first couple things that you guys did to get the business off the ground. Obviously, she was an influencer, so that was really helpful. But what were some of the things that you guys did? Or did you have like a long-term vision for this? Or are you just like, oh, let's just sell this product to the public and see what happens? Yeah, we had no vision for it. We knew we had something, but we did not have a clear vision like at all. The biggest thing was that Kaylee built it a social media. She built an Instagram page for it. 
and she was sharing all the information about it. And she knew how to do that. I didn't have Instagram at the time. I was more focused on Yelp because I wanted to grow my clinic business. So Mm -hmm. that was how people started hearing about it. And then she would talk about the product on her audience and her other platforms that had already a substantial audience. So that generated more interest, but we really didn't do much for the first couple of years. It was very much just a hobby company. And on Amazon, there's only so much marketing you can do anyway. So we we didn't do a whole lot. We both had other full-time jobs. And then in 2018 is when I actually had to write a new check in order to start developing other products to complete the line. That was the moment for me where the risk actually was there. Because before that, we were just reinvesting all of our profits. It was just an extra stream of cash. But now I had to write a check for like $42,000 to an an actual manufacturer instead of us doing it in our kitchen. That's when it became a real company. And I feel like it really started. So that's like kind of the commercialization. You found this manufacturer and really kind of built it for scale or you were getting ready for that. And so does that mean that you kind of moved full time on it or were you always part time or how did you kind of balance having this business of your own that's this clinic, but then also building this product and dividing your focus? How did you think about it? Yeah, we both just kind of did it on our off time. I eventually started only seeing clients four days a week. And then I worked on ClearStem Tuesday, Thursdays with Kaylee. And she was a recruiter for a college too. So she had a lot of flexibility in her schedule. Like she'd be on airplanes a lot. So she was able to do stuff during the day when she could fit it in. And we'd have full-time days together, Tuesday, Thursday. But as the years went on, it needed so much more of my time. I got pulled away from ClearStem and back into the clinic full-time during COVID because my staff couldn't work. So that was a bit of a setback in terms of like my time. If I had been focused full-time on ClearStem, we would probably be a lot further along, but I had to take care of my first my first baby. So yeah, now I'm full-time ClearStem and I just see like a client a week at the clinic just because I love it. And I've been treating them for, for years and I just love seeing them every couple months. That's awesome. And so over the past couple of years, it sounds like 2018 is when you started the new manufacturing. And then 2019, you probably were ramped up a little bit from there. So where were you, I guess, revenue wise with the business before the pandemic and like up through now? Before the pandemic, it was really small. It was like a couple hundred thousand. And then 2021, we did... I want to say it was like 1.8. Yeah, it was a little under two mils, like 1.8. And we were like, wow, this is great. Because it was like 6x what we had done the year before. Yeah. But then 2022, we did about 8 million. So we wow. went from just under two to eight. And that's in conjunction with Kaylee and I now being full-time and having a customer service team and a full-on social team and actually people running the company with us. That always helps. Yeah. And this year we're on track to triple from last year, hopefully a little bit more. Amazing. And so what do you think has really been propelling that growth? Really, really good products that people want and need and really good messaging to create a cohesive brand experience. We love making videos that are educational. We love hosting free masterclasses. We do IG Lives. We collaborate with other healthcare professionals. So we're constantly spreading the message and the ethos. And we hire people on the team who can relate. One of our core values is that we have to be one with the customer at all times. So almost everyone on our team has dealt with acne. Interesting. Or some other skin concern that we know was like somewhat debilitating for them. So having that and having that empathy and that passion be in every single role has been huge. 
So is that how you filter when you hire? You're like, you have to have had acne issues so you can really relate to the customer. Is that part of your filter or how do you guys do that for your team? We do ask that question. We can't, we wouldn't hire a fire based on that, but it is, I feel a very, very core part of it. Most of the people that we've hired have actually come to us. They've sent their resumes in and they wound up being amazing. And people do that because our products healed them and they want to work for us. So we have a really good incoming source of possible candidates who already fit the ethos. So your customers basically become your employees. Yeah, it's happened a few times (laughs) and they've been our best people. So yeah. That's awesome. That's really, really cool. So what have been some of the biggest challenges in building this business? Just the growing pains of delineating roles, especially when you are in such startup mode for so long, everyone's just doing what they can do at the time or what they're particularly good at. But Kaylee and I didn't have defined clear roles for years. So figuring all that out, the org chart and who to hire and what those titles are, that proved to be fairly difficult. So we have a couple mentors that have scaled businesses before and they've read like EOS and traction and all that. So we follow yeah. a lot of those frameworks. And then just communication and nurturing the co-founder relationship with with Kaylee and I, our brains work very differently in all the right ways. Like she is my dream partner. But sometimes if there was a high pressure situation where it could cost the company a lot of money, which you know, aka me, because we're self-funded, but she thinks it's a really good marketing idea, but can't really explain why or the way she's explaining it isn't landing with me. You know, stuff like that would come up a lot or little things would get missed, but because it wasn't anyone's specific job, there was kind of no one responsible. So stuff like that naturally arose. And that's when we sought our co-founder therapist. So we still have him. He's on retainer and he taught us how to work with each other communication wise and then also like how each other's brains works. If she's being quiet about something, I know she's thinking about it and she's going to come back with an answer later. Instead of me, I'd like to think about things in deep process in the moment and then check them off my list. So just knowing how each other operates and really loving each other for that has been huge. That is huge. And I think a lot of co-founder breakups happen when there isn't therapy, I guess that's seeked or coaching or whatever you want to call it. At what point, what was that conversation like? Who came to who and said, hey, you know, I think we need to hire a co-founder therapist. I'm a big believer in therapy anyway. So it was already on on my mind and Kaylee was about to move to LA. And I just felt like there were things happening that were avoidable if we had had a therapist for us. And so it was my idea. She was totally down for it. I'm in a business group called EO, Entrepreneurs Organization. So I tapped into that network and got a referral for someone and he's just been an angel. So he is an executive coach, also a therapist skilled in scaling businesses. Like he helped us do like our offsite and our core values. And then so we can do organizational stuff like that. And then also if Kaylee and I have any sort of big thing we need to talk about, like what's the exit price that we both agree on, stuff like that. He helps us communicate about stuff like that in a really helpful way. But you know, he's so good that we don't even need him for that anymore. We just keep him on retainer for the employees to use. That's great. And so how long have you guys been working with this coach? Like three years. Yeah, that's amazing. You know, coaching is something that is highly, I don't know if it's underestimated, but it's certainly not talked about often enough. Sometimes I'll get founders to be able to talk about it on the show, which I appreciate because I think it's just really important. In my experience, I've seen the value of a coach to a founding team and especially one that, you know, has brought EOS to the table, which is an, an, it's called Entrepreneurial Operating System. Do you guys do the L10 meetings? 
Yeah, we do the L10s. We don't do everything yeah. that the structures probably need to revisit that now that we're bigger. But yeah, we have an L10 every Wednesday. Nice. Yeah. That's just an amazing way to have a structured meeting is that L10 meeting. It's such an incredible framework and traction is an incredible book. And, you know, if you have a coach that brings these things that you may have otherwise never have discovered, right. And they're pretty game-changing tools. And obviously communication is such a big issue with any relationship business related or not. So that's awesome that you would get, you guys were able to seek that and solve some great issues. And now you guys are, you know, off to the races and have been for a few years now. What is the vision for the business? Where do you see this headed? How many products do you have now? And where do you want to take this? We have about 14 SKUs right now. Our bigger focus, I think, is going to be the telehealth wing that we're launching. It probably won't be as big, but it's going to be the most impactful. So that telehealth wing that we're almost done with, it's going to help people diagnose the real things that are causing their health to suffer. I think that that is, I don't, you know, more people are going to buy our skincare than are going to run labs through the program. But those that do, it's going to be such a powerful moment in their life and in their health and healing journey. Like that's, I think, going to be the biggest passion between Kaylee and I. As far as products, we still love innovating. We love coming out with stuff. The next thing that we're working on is hair care that's acne safe because a lot of hair conditioners can break people out. So I've been formulating really, really good hair products for about a year and they're almost done. So pumped. And then we also want to start making more vitamins. Our best seller is our hormonal acne supplement because it's meant to be an alternative to Accutane and alternative to antibiotics for people that don't want to go that route or if it hasn't worked for them. So our acne supplement is changing lives and it's our bestseller by far. So I want to make more supplements that help people, um, especially like if you're acne prone, you can't take biotin supplements and biotin is what makes your hair and nails grow. Yeah. So I want to make a supplement, like a hair growth supplement that's specifically for people who are acne prone. Does biotin not work if you or what, why wouldn't biotin be helpful for acne prone? It makes acne worse, basically. Really? Yeah. So extra keratin production um, in our skin. If you have acne, you probably make a lot more keratin protein. It's called retention hyperkeratosis. So someone like me, I probably make like five times more keratin protein than someone else who just never breaks out. So our pores get clogged a little bit more easily naturally. And biotin makes you produce more keratin. That's why it makes your hair and nails grow, but it makes acne worse. So making more vitamins and like nutraceutical type biohackery supplements. I love that. And we're working on a few of those right now. So you're basically like a complete acne guru. Uh Like, you know, every you're like, yes, that's my (laughs) trademark. The acne guru. Literally. (laughs) Literally. Wow. Yeah. Because obviously, I mean, you know, everything about it. And so what else can you teach us, I guess, about acne and your products and what makes you guys so unique? Obviously, there's a ton of players on the market trying to solve similar issues. What makes you guys different and why? Like, what did you learn that makes this product and company so unique? The company is unique because we're like the underdog in terms of how we started. Like, we didn't start with venture capital funding. We didn't start even with experience. Like, I knew how to crush it in a clinical setting, in a one-on-one setting, but that doesn't automatically translate to mass market. So having that unique origin story where we both struggled with it and we met because of her struggle and healed it. And like, we're sharing that with everyone. Like our founder story is just so unique and we're always sharing that with people. And then just constantly educating, re-spreading useful information across all channels in creative ways, hosting free masterclasses, 
the way we give to our community and educate freely is what really sets us apart. And the philosophy of getting to the root cause, like I don't think you'll see another skincare company that talks more about food and vitamins than we do. Like we talk about that more than we talk about our products. So I think just our, our community really knows where we come from because we are them. And I think that's what really sets us apart. And when it comes to food, how does obviously food plays a role in so much of our health, but it's particularly with skin and acne, what are foods that people should be avoiding or eating more of? Great question. Dairy is number one. Dairy causes a lot of hormonal acne and it's just really inflammatory for a lot of people. So it'll break people out around the chin or the mouth. And then gluten can be a big deal for a chunk of people. It's not the biggest deal for everyone, but for some people, gluten, they're just particularly sensitive and that inflammation shows up in their skin. Sugar is another one. Like when you have sugar, what's the first thing you're putting in your body? What type of sugar are you having? If you wake up and you have no water and two coffees and you put a bunch of creamer in there and you're starting your day with a caffeinated dose of sugar, you're setting yourself up for disaster all day. But if you were to mix some protein powder in your coffee to balance it out, it would have a totally different effect. We could geek out on that forever, but that's a whole other episode. But yeah, food triggers, vitamin triggers, just there's just a lot to learn. So that's why we built out such a learning library on our website. So the company, you mentioned that you guys are self-funded. I'm sure, you know, investors maybe, you know, have approached you guys, or you may have thought about going out to fundraise to support growth. What has been your decision in keeping the company self-funded and why? Well, luckily we were able to do that because our margins were healthy enough from the beginning. If you misprice your products, it can really just kill that. And then you have to raise money. Like if you're in food and beverage, your margins are so slim, you have to raise. So luckily we weren't in one of those scenarios and I didn't take for like three and a half years. So I just reinvested everything. So that helped us and being able to stick to the control of the ingredients and the ethos that are so important that was always something that was really important to us. So we swore we never wanted to have an investor because we never wanted someone to be telling us, hey, make this cheaper. Because that's what happens. Companies start cutting corners and sacrificing stuff. And then all of a sudden it's garbage. So we never wanted to have that happen. And then we actually did talk to a growth capital firm and we were really excited about the opportunity of working with them. But they sent us the most offensive term sheet you could ever imagine to the point where there, there was no negotiating it. It was like dead in the water. We're like, we're not going to work with you. Why? Why was it so bad? They valued us at 7.5 million when fair market was closer to 30. Oh, wow. It was wildly off market. So just like a really bad valuation. It was something close to where you would want to be. So there was just no yeah. point to negotiate. Yeah. Yeah. It's like if your house is worth a million and someone tries to come offer you 300,000, you're like, there's no <laughs> conversation here. Well, hopefully that happened early in the process instead of like spending a ton of time and then getting that. And you're like, okay, we just wasted months of conversations. Oh, no. You had months and months of conversation. You have to let them look under the hood and see your analytics, see how all your channels are doing. Oh, no. Is that what happened? Yeah, you have to. That's their due diligence. Otherwise, they don't know how to evaluate you. Yeah. So we won't make that mistake again. We don't even take those calls right now because people just, they ask for information and then they go share it. So we don't even take those calls right now. Yeah. It's hard to trust people too. You know, when you don't know them, you're just starting, they want to get to know you guys in the business and you're also trying to get to know them and hopefully there's trust there, but it's hard to establish that in such a short time frame. 
Yeah, there is a point probably next year where we will want to partner with a really, really good fund because there are tons of them. There's a lot of private equity companies that our mentors work with. A couple of them are even, they invest in the fund as well. So there's a lot of really good guys out there. Definitely. We know who those players are now and will be potentially looking to do a deal where I, you know, I want to sell like 15% of my shares to the right strategic partner. And maybe they're skilled in distribution or international expansion or something that is just huge and daunting that my current team doesn't have the skill set in. So that'll be the perfect partner. And that's ultimately what we're going to aim for. That's awesome. So you'll be looking around next year, it sounds like. Yes. And what are some of your goals? What's next for the business? Where do you plan on taking this? I know you said telehealth for acne for sure, but it sounds like you guys just want to dominate the the acne category. Yeah, we really want to just be everywhere all the time, but without overdoing it. And it's such a fine, it's such a fine line. It's like people have heard about us now. We don't know exactly what people, like if they were to describe us to someone else, we don't quite know what that would be. And we've identified that as a potential marketing issue. So we're actually talking to some branding agencies for like a brand refresh, like a messaging condensing exercise so that we can be that brand that rolls off the top of your tongue and that everyone knows what we stand for. So that's what we're working on right now. And that will come first before we try to do like bigger distribution, like a Sephora or Ulta situation. Yeah, definitely. And I love, I love, love, love the scent of this one product, the HydroGlow moisturizer. How do you describe this scent? I was like trying to figure out what to call it or if you even have a name for it. Maybe there's a name on here I didn't see, but my God, it smells so good and it's so nice on my skin. It's like a grapefruit or something or passion fruit. Like what is this? I wanted it to be indiscernible, but nostalgic. So it's actually a natural blueberry extract blueberry. Oh my Uh gosh. Now I see it. But it's yeah, it's like it just kind of smells like candy or something like it's really sweet. And you kind of just want to eat it. Yeah, it's a little bit it, it reminds me of this, like, there was something I played with as a kid, it was like a bubble gum or something. It has a nostalgic scent for me. And and we only use non toxic ingredients. So we had to go with something that was not like a synthetic fragrance. So that limits you to mainly like fruits and vanillas and, you know, maybe some cinnamon. So basically everything that could smell like pie. So I went up to the lab and I smelled a ton of things and this was by far my favorite. And it's just meant to be like uplifting. Like when you smell that, I want you to like feel uplifted and you're like your energy changes because of that scent. So that's, that's what I went for with that one. Well, I think you achieved that for me, at least on that one. And the bounce back serum. Can you talk to us about the benefits and and this one? This one smells good too, by the way. Yeah, that one's mango and jasmine. Cool combination. Oh, nice. Yeah. So bounce back is nicknamed our no Botox serum. I don't like doing Botox. Every time I do it, I feel like it just makes me look weird. Mm-hmm. My co-founder doesn't do it because of the toxicity aspect. Tell us about the toxic aspect of Botox. Well, that's where the, the tox is the what's it called? Botulism. I'm butchering the name. Botulism toxin. Basically it's a toxin, but they haven't found too much of a correlation of it doing any damage, but it also hasn't been out that long. So a lot of people who advocate against it are saying there's not enough long-term studies to determine true safety and you can't get it while you're pregnant because of those unknown risks. So there is some element of unknown mystery toxicity about it. I personally don't think it's toxic enough to concern yourself with. I think having alcohol is probably far worse for you. I just don't (laughs) like it because it makes me look weird. It makes me look frozen and older. And I think having micro expressions is actually cuter and more youthful. So made a serum with peptides and peptides are little messenger proteins that 
tell your skin to fix itself. So it works on fine lines and acne scars. Nice. Wow. So it's a double whammy, which I realize is the whole kind of ethos of the brand, right? Anti-aging and anti-acne type of thing. Yeah. Every single product helps with aging and acne. And it'll also help you be smoother and brighter and all those other things. Like so many brands claim to be everything to everyone, but we, if there ever was a brand that was, it's us. And that is actually our biggest marketing challenge is just distilling all of our benefits and who we're for into, you know, a one-liner. Yeah. It's amazing. Because when you think of acne and you think of all the products that are for people that are suffering from acne, it's just chemical stuff. Like it's a lot of chemicals. And it's like, how is it possible that more chemicals are going to heal already really sensitive skin that needs to be like nourished and all of these other things? It just feels so conflicting. So I love what you guys are doing. It's really awesome. Thank you. Yeah. All the the current prescriptions for acne, a lot of them are, you know, retinol based, which we know are fairly toxic and they're so drying that they destroy your natural skin barrier, which makes you get UV damage faster. And that's what causes accelerated aging. So it's like, great, you're trying to fix your acne and I are using any assortment of prescriptions. You're dry, flaky, irritated, and you're aging faster now. And your acne is probably not any better because you didn't get to the root cause. So that whole messed up situation is what we fix. The spiral. It's a downward spiral. For sure. And then the mental toll too, like relieving yeah. suffering and getting people feeling good about themselves. That's my biggest passion, actually. Absolutely. Before we kind of wrap up, what's something you wish you would have known before you started your business? I think it's really good that we didn't know what we were getting into. Why? Because if you did, you wouldn't do it. We probably would have thought twice. <laughs> <laughs> if I could count the amount of times people said that on the show. Right. I I think the one thing I wish I would have, I could have told myself back then was to trust your instincts. If you know you're working with someone and they're fucking you over and you think they might be, they are. Trust me, they are. Like if there's any doubt, if someone's a good partner, listen to that, explore it. Don't kick the can just because you like them or because you think you can't find anyone else. Like our website developers initially robbed us blind. They're horrible people. And they were such good salespeople that we got sucked into this, you know, custom website and they knew we didn't have a huge budget. They roped us into this custom website and it was so custom. We couldn't even edit any text in it or change an image. We had to pay their developer $150 an hour for basic stuff. So they were just robbing us blind and we didn't know how to operate the thing that we paid them to build. Wow. And that's actually the website thing is very, very common for businesses. Another friend of mine has a company and they switched to headless commerce, this custom kind of, and I don't know if it's this bad for everyone, or if it was just as bad for them, but it's so custom and it was over 150 K and it's just been a nightmare. They're, they're going back to Shopify now. Wow. Yikes. Yeah. There's some painful learnings in business. <laughs> yeah. But it's more like when, when your antenna goes up that you're in a bad business relationship, it's because you are pay attention to it and get out of it. Even if you're in a contract, like we just had to fire our retail brokers. They were doing garbage work, but they have a 60 day out, but they know we're leaving. So it's like, great. We're paying you a $2,500 a month retainer to do nothing. Cause you know, we don't want to do business with you anymore. So in some cases like that, like say we didn't have that out and we were locked in for a year, I would have just stopped paying them and tell them, hey, come after me. So making sure you know the contract terms that you're in, not doing a year, doing six months, and then be just really honest with yourself if you know the relationship isn't working to get out of it as soon as possible. That's some good advice. And before we wrap up, do you have any other final advice, I guess, beyond what you've already shared for any aspiring entrepreneurs tuning in or founders in the trenches right now. 
just learning yourself and learning how you operate and really asking and seeking perspectives on your blind spots because your blind spots become your company's blind spots. That's so true. Yep. I agree with that. Well, thank you so much, Danielle. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for sharing your story today. Thanks for having me. This is so fun. Thank you so much for listening to the Stairway to CEO podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Lee Green. And if you have any burning business questions, please feel free to reach us at www.stairwaytoceo.com. We'd love to hear from you. And if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to the show, tell your friends, leave us a review, and follow us on Instagram at Stairway to CEO. Until next time, guys, keep on climbing.